Blog Talk Radio. This program has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City. Welcome to a special edition of the Wealth Psychology. This is going to be a half hour uh, with Emily Bouchard, and uh, we are going to be speaking with uh, phenomenal women that are here to talk about corporate boards. And I am so excited to have this conversation. We're going to be looking at this from the, the standpoint of what does it mean to be a woman on the board and why is this so important? And I uh, wanted to introduce who is going to be on the show and why we're having it. It's really exciting. So we have Daria Alanatar, who is a founder of Broad Circle, and we're going to be talking about what that is as well. Faye Feeney, who is the CEO of Risk for Good. Catherine Blair, partner of K&L Gates. Moira Conlon, uh, CEO of Financial Profiles, Robin Abrams, Corporate Board Director, and Lorraine Siegel, Corporate Board Director. Welcome, ladies. We're excited. Thank and you. It's such a, I mean, a half an hour, we're going to just go like gangbusters. Daria, thank you so much for putting this all together. Uh, could you say a little bit about uh, what Broad Circle is, why you created it, and then let's go right into the special event that you've got happening next week. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You know, Broad Circle is all about money and power for women. We're a group in Los Angeles, but the vision and what we talk about is truly global. Um, You know, as much as uh, women have made a lot of progress in so many sectors, on the money and power front, we still haven't gotten to equity. And the group we are – we Broad Circle is really all about driving revenue and growing capital for women. The issue of women on corporate boards is so important because corporate boards are the pinnacle of power of business in the United States, of the capitalist system, and women represent roughly 16% of uh, corporate board directors right now at U.S. companies. And we have an annual event focused on this topic because there's such great interest in our community, uh, in our group uh, for women to learn about opportunities for serving on boards, how do you become qualified to serve on boards, uh, what are the um, benefits of serving on a board, what are the uh, liabilities of serving on a board, but I think really the the, um, critical thing to think about is that I think there's great frustration in uh, very accomplished women who feel that they are qualified to serve on a board, that they should be on a board, they want to be on a board, uh, but they don't feel that that path is available to them. 
But we bring women who have achieved that so that they can show the other women that there is that path, that they can create opportunities for themselves, and they can create a narrative that will allow them to achieve what they want to achieve uh, if that, you know, is a board seat. I want to jump in right here because uh, this particular uh, show on Sylvia Global's network focuses on the emotional impact of uh, wealth in people's lives. And what you've just said uh, touches on so many different emotions for women especially and uh, also for the men on these boards in terms of how to best interface with women. And one of the things that I'm listening to as I'm thinking about our listeners is there are also women out there that haven't even had it as a possibility that this could even exist it. And what you've just done is you've opened up a whole new world for them as well. And um, very exciting. And you also gave a whole litany of what you need to know in order to do it. And one of the things we emphasize on this show is the importance of taking small steps towards getting to your goal. And I love that you have a board that you have assembled with very, I mean, this is a panel you put together around a conversation around boards of women that are very knowledgeable about this to help break down those steps, right, so that uh, people who come to this event are going to be able to understand this in a way where it's not so overwhelming and that they can actually see themselves stepping into it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this event is March 5th uh, in Los Angeles at a hotel on the west side, uh, Lux on Sunset. Uh, but we're also going to be putting uh, clips from the panel on our website, broadcircle.com. But a very funny thing started this whole thing uh, of our Women on Boards uh, events uh, years ago, Faye Feeney, uh, who is on the phone now, and I had to talk about you know, what are the opportunities for women uh, to be on boards? I actually at the time was not on a board. I now serve on a small private company board. But I said, you know, Faye, um, who is Faye is the president of our Broads on Boards initiative for Broad Circle, I'm going to raise my hand at this event, and I'm going to say that in five years I'm going to serve on a corporate board. And at the time that seemed funny. Actually, when I said it um, to the whole group of 110 people in the room, some people giggled um, because it seemed so uh, unusual and unrealistic and you know but that inspired many of the other women in the room to aspire to a corporate board seat because if we all can kind of see it within our own possibilities that's the first step but right now that um the numbers are not you know terribly encouraging and Faye would you comment on that what are the basic stats on uh women on in board seats and what what do you see in that? Sure. Well, thank you, Dara. And uh, I was in the room, and there was no giggling from me. I, I was <laughs> thrilled that that you wanted that as an aspirational goal. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about why metrics matter. Uh, Bill Gates this year in his 2013 letter made it very clear that you're not going to make progress if you don't know the numbers. So let me just break it down uh, amongst the Fortune uh, 1000. So the Fortune 100 boards are at 19.9% women on boards. But when you think about the uh, the folks who are sitting in the Fortune 500 to the Fortune 1000, the numbers drop to 14%. I mean, this is clearly a, uh, a, a driven statistic from the smart, connected consumers 
that are, are making the importance known about what they want. And Fortune 100 companies listen a little better, particularly on this issue, than the Fortune 500 to 1,000. Yeah, and I think that the um, listening also translates into dollars and cents to the bottom line. Uh, and Lorraine, would you comment on that issue in terms of you know diversity, uh, whether it's good for business, bad for business? Is it just a token show, or is there real dollars attached to it? Well, there's, thank you so much, and I'm happy to be on the show. There are um, significant studies now that have come out of Catalyst, which uh, is represented by most of the Fortune 1000, uh, and also I think Harvard has come out with studies and some of the larger accounting firms. So there is significant support now for uh, data-based research and real metrics that say that uh, companies who have diverse boards uh, perform better in the marketplace uh, with shareholder return than those who don't. So we're now not talking about it's nice to do. We're talking about there's return on investment, there's real money attached to this. And so uh, besides the fact that it makes a lot of sense, if you're serving a constituency that is more than 50% female, and in many companies it is significantly female, you need to have representation of your customer and consumer group on your board in order to uh, understand better what uh, customer service, customer satisfaction would look like. So there are many good reasons, but now there's there's hard data behind it. So uh, there's no question that there is a lag uh, in the number of uh, uh, diverse representatives on boards, which needs to catch up with uh, with the data. And um, I'm hopeful that that will continue to uh, evolve over the next few years, but it's certainly not happening fast. Robin, you come really from the tech uh, world, and both in your own background and the companies that you're affiliated with as board member. Um, and that tech world we all see as a little bit of a boys' club in the senior management today. Do you think it's good for business for uh, technology companies and and the like to uh, have more diversity on boards? Thanks for the opportunity to, to be here today as well, and and without a doubt, many boards. And I think uh, in in view of the focus of today's show, in terms of the emotional value. I think that, um, and I, I do a lot of work um, with female uh, computer science engineers, and the female employees of today's tech companies expect a level of female leadership on their boards, number one. Uh, I think the other, the other uh, emotional side of this is that, um, as, as Lorraine points out, uh, there's more accountability in the boardroom. I think women bring to the boardroom less emotion and more structure, and that drives the accountability of the company executives, of the executive team, of the board itself, and that really is, is what drives those, those better financial results. All right, this is Emily. I need to jump in there. That was so important what you just said about how women bring structure and less emotion. Could you say a little bit more about that? Because that sounds um, uh, like it might be counterintuitive to listeners. Well, I think 
as Lauren points out, it's all about numbers, right? It's all about the numbers. And successful women have have learned how to be all about the numbers. And here I don't mean just a P&L, but how are you going to measure? How do you know you're getting ahead if you don't know where you're starting and the way to start is to make it numbers? Now, maybe some of us have, have had to suppress emotions to, 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 to learn how to get along. That's probably another radio show. Uh, but but when you are one female sitting at a table of all males, you really do, and and you measure every quarter, uh, then uh, that's that's the foundation, that's the beginning of knowing where you need to improve. I think uh, this is Lorraine. This is there is another aspect to this, Robin. I couldn't agree with you more, and that is that uh, women are generally more willing to tell the truth, and also to to say to talk about the elephant in the room the the issue that no one else really wants to talk about uh, and i think that that has a uh, liberating effect in the boardroom and enables other board members to really step out and say what they think rather than uh, be hesitant to do that i have seen that in boards in which i have served and the more women on the board the more the easier that becomes I think you're absolutely right, and and I think the 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 approach that women bring is uh, we're not afraid of conflict, right? We're not conflict averse, right? We know that if there's a problem, that there's an elephant that needs to be tackled, and uh, I think we're I think the frequently uh, successful women have have learned how to do that quite effectively. Great, and um, you know, Catherine, I thought I would turn to you and. Um, we, we, you know, we we know the stats now. We know that it's good for companies to have women on boards, but the numbers still are, you know, sixteen um, percent uh, roughly across all of them. Are there legal uh, requirements for diversity on boards? Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the panel. There's not legal requirements per se. Um, first, you have to divide it into, I look at it in two ways. There are private company boards and public company boards. Private company boards have no requirements other than maybe what their private investors ask for certain board designees. And there are private companies, so they're not necessarily reporting to anybody other than the small group of stakeholders that they have. Public companies um, live in a different world. The SEC in the past few years have implemented regulations where companies are required to discuss the qualifications of their board members and board nominees, including um, looking at the diversity of their board. And so for public companies, because it is a discussion that um, is included in their public disclosures, it is something that companies may look at more closely as to you know, how, what the composition is um, of their board doesn't necessarily mean that changes are being made right away. And so legally it's right now for public companies, it's just a disclosure perspective. Um, then, then there's also um, steps that can be taken outside of the boardroom. And, you know, there's sometimes there are stakeholders or shareholders in a public company who want to see more diversity. And so they may put certain propositions on the table and say that we want to see um, stronger policies developed by the company to include um, higher levels of diversity, or in some rare cases, we want to see particular board members nominated to the board. Mara, do comp- since since uh, some companies uh, may feel that it's an advantage, uh, their diverse board, uh, is there a way that they can communicate about that and to their shareholders and to the world at large, and what are the advantages and disadvantages there, and 
Um, you know, we we hear a lot about activism, quote unquote, shareholder activism out there. Can you say a couple words about that as well? Sure thing, uh, Daria. I, I would say that definitely there are so many opportunities for companies to communicate about their boards and the composition of their boards. Um, too many companies don't talk enough about that. Um, and I think that in, in institutional investors are getting more and more interested, you know, in engaging with boards. Um, you know, things are starting to happen there. And I think it's, you know, it's everything from, you know, annual reports to showing up at annual meetings, you know, investor days, lots of opportunities for board members to get out there and interact with investors directly. Of course, it's important for everybody to be um, fully prepared, um, you know, particularly board members that, that, that haven't worked with public market investors before before there is any engagement. So the process needs to be, you know, handled carefully, and investor relations needs to um, interact with the board as part of that process to make sure that everybody's um, ready to go. But I think it would be great if more companies – uh, did showcase uh, the diversity of their boards. I think one of the reasons that we don't have as many women on boards as uh, we we all would like to have is that, you know, we really haven't done a great job of getting any publicity for the success stories. So often you read in the news about the things that haven't worked out and the bad examples, and I think what we need to do is get some more um, publicity and build awareness for the, you know, the women on boards that are really making a difference and you know, the the performance issues, as um, one of our colleagues addressed earlier. And then in terms of activist investors, um, you know, the activism, you know, is just one of many issues that boards are facing today. And, you know, oftentimes through an activist campaign, you know, there are opportunities for board seats. Um, I would have to say that I think that's probably one of the more unproductive ways for uh, boards to be looking at diversifying their boards. I think boards should always be looking to add strong, diverse talent to their boards. The bar is high today. Um, all boards need to be look, looking at this, and I'm glad uh, the numbers are still low, but we're making progress, and I think that's really encouraging. So given all this, why aren't boards just hopping on this and adding more women in significant numbers to boards, why are we not seeing the dial move really quickly from 16% to higher numbers with all the women investors out there and all the women consumers out there, all the women who are, you know, women are 80% of making 80% of consumer decisions. Why are we not seeing that translate into real change in the boardroom? Robin and Lorraine, maybe you could take that. Well, I'm happy to uh, to give a first uh, try at it. I think that there are a number of reasons. One of them is it is still an old boy network, and um, we have an old girl, or I don't like the, the name of that, we have an old girl network that's building, um, and it, it tends to be that people bring people on boards that they have either served on other boards with or that they know from their activities in business, and so if that is, in fact, the primary way, and obviously many uh, large public companies will use executive search firms, if that is the primary way is the word of mouth, then we have got to be more proactive uh, than ever before because we are smaller in numbers. And I think that that's the unfortunate truth is I wish that I could say that it was all executive searches, but it's not. It's 
people who know people and then get recommended and then the nominating committee has to interview them. There'll be a number of candidates and, uh, you know, I, I'm on the nominating committee on the public board I serve on. I've been on it for eight years. We, uh, I'm not saying it's certainly not due to me, but we have a very diverse board and we always have both African-American, Latino and um, female candidates who are in the running. So the pipeline has to include those people and we have to be proactive, those of us who serve on boards. I also, also think in the private company area and especially in, in private equity, that's an opportunity to get women on boards before they have the exposure of the public company pressure. And I think that's where we should also put some of our focus and attention. Robin? So I want, can I jump in for a second? This is Emily again, because I'm also listening from the standpoint of the listeners, the women that might be interested in this. And I know that uh, time is often an issue for women, especially successful women, in terms of um, wanting to make sure they have time for their families, for themselves, for their um, their own companies, what they're working on. Uh, what is the commitment in terms of time to be on the corporate board, and is that sometimes considered a barrier? I think it could I'll take be. that one. I, I think okay. I think it is. When, when I sign up, or uh, I'm chair of of, of Nom and Gov of, of and do some uh, search as well. I think I estimate between 200 and 250 hours a year is what it takes to do a a a, a proper job as a as a board member of a public company. Uh, again, just as a, just as a rule of thumb. So I'm sure that for some people that is that's that's, that's absolutely challenging. Yeah. Yeah, we, we wear thing, a lot of hats. Let me, let me add just a couple comments to to, to Lorraine's. I think the other th reality is that when we look at the the total number of available seats every year, we we look at the entire list of of board members, and that's not really accurate because the seats don't really uh, pragmatically turn over every year. Um, so it's it's only a handful of seats that turn over. So we have to become very very focused on those that that in practice turn over. I think the other thing that that we have to wear a responsibility for is that there really ha isn't a, a concentrated outreach of investors to CEOs or chairs of Nom and Gov uh, or chairs of the audit committee. And I think that many CEOs, uh, many chairmen of board, many chairs of Nom and Gov will actually listen to shareholders if they just simply send a letter in that says, you know, you've got X number of seats coming up this year. Uh, I'd like to see you add, uh, you know, diversity, serious add to diversity on your board. And and I think if there is a campaign, an orchestrated campaign like that, that was focused on those particular boards, I think we begin to see results. That's brilliant. And that's something that but Circle can organize, you know, anyone who organizes women can do that, right? We all have money in a retirement account or in, uh, uh, you know, some other vehicle, and we're all investors to some extent. And so what you're saying is that it's kind of a grassroots effort uh, where organiz women's organizations or women could reach out to uh, corporate board directors to the right committees and say, we would like to see more women on that board. Is that what you're saying, Robin? I am, and I, I think it has to be knowledgeable. So uh, look back at last year's proxy and see which terms are up 
uh, for renomination and just be very focused because then you demonstrate that you know the numbers, you know the metrics, that you know the positions that, that are coming available, and you're watching, right? I mean, it's all about watchful eyes. Mm-hmm. That, that's brilliant. Sorry. I didn't really... Yes. No, Daria, just to say, I mean, another resource uh, for the metrics here is Women on Boards 2020 uh, has a very robust database uh, on on which companies are in that uh, category of women on boards and then obviously companies with no women. And that is just another data point uh, in thinking through how you want to put your thoughts together for this effort. And given that, I want to jump in because I'm also thinking about this from the standpoint of the women looking at, wow, I'm, this is intriguing. I have thought about this. I haven't known where to get started. Uh, you know, for the women that are listening who are inspired and they want to be a part of a corporate board, what do you all recommend as one small step in terms of looking if they would even be qualified? Um, if they are qualified, what's one step that they could take towards that goal? Um, and Daria, would you start because you, you said you made this announcement, this declaration that you were going to be on one, so I'm thinking you've probably done some research about this. Well, you know, I, I actually think that uh, in terms of uh, the first step should be looking at yourself, look in the mirror, and try to figure out where can I add value within the corporate board setting. Um, and so when I looked at myself in the mirror, I saw that I had a CPA, I had an MBA in finance, I had worked for a financial services company for years, and uh, that there were certain places and positions, and I had some industry knowledge in a certain industry, um, that I could add value. Uh, but the opportunity that came to me uh, it only came to me because people I knew in my own circle knew I had value. They knew I had this great experience at a big four accounting firm. I had worked for a, a major uh, investment firm for years. I was a CPA, I was an MBA. But it never occurred to them that I might want to serve on a board seat. Um, and so when I raised my hand and I said, yes, I would like to, but I had only done that after I had looked in the mirror and saw that there, I might have some of the credentials that were needed where I could add some value, then the opportunity came to me through somebody I already knew to sit on a private company board. And I think that for many women who are, uh, you know, who have a resume similar to mine, that's a way that it can happen for them. Um, and I think that, you know, the first uh, private company board, uh, you know, is something to opt for. Public company experience is entirely different. Uh, but, you know, having some board experience is very helpful in getting any other future role. Uh, Robin and Lorraine, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. I think that going into a private company board is is an excellent way to do it. I was CEO of an operating CEO of an aerospace distribution company, and I went on the private company board of another CEO, and um, it was an amazing uh, experience for me. And I learned a lot that I could apply to my own company. And it was only many years later, that 20 years later, that I went on a public corporate board. And the reason was, as Robin had mentioned, it was very, very time-consuming, and I just didn't have the hours that I could invest in 
being on someone else's board while I was trying to grow and, and build my own business. So one of the challenges uh, is going to be time. But if you look around at all the service providers, the colleagues, the friends, the networking that you have in your existing life, the value that you bring, as Daria so eloquently said, uh, you may find a private company of uh, one of those in your circle who would be happy to have your expertise because basically they're getting free consulting from you, and uh, that's something very valuable to have in a private company. So that is the first way, and I think it's a good way to start. I think Lorraine's absolutely right. It's it's really good training wheels. It demonstrates to to yourself whether or not it's something you like. It isn't as time time consuming, and I think you have to be realistic uh, in terms of learning some of those skills. And you know, some pub, some private companies don't. You know, their compensation to board members isn't that great. But this is all about get learning those tools and getting into to those networks. Uh, I think also uh, someone may have an excellent pedigree. Uh, and what you have to do is emotionally say, you know what, this is almost like going back to grad school. I need to get this. I need to invest the time. I need to, to even though I think I'm great, uh, I need to start at a smaller company level in terms of uh, in terms of demonstrating my capabilities and, and learning uh, some of the board member skills that I'll need in bigger companies. Well, and I, this is fantastic. We only have a few minutes left, and I want to make sure uh, that everybody who's listening understands more about this panel, uh, more about Broad Circle, and anything else, Daria, you want to complete with. Um, thank you so much. And I also want to say we have inheritors that listen to this show that are on boards of their family companies, and they could definitely use support and training as well. So, Daria, bring us home. We've got like a minute left. Broad Circle, this event is on March 5th in Los Angeles, and we do this event annually. We do events regularly. We're all about money and power. We're on the Internet, broadcircle.com. I hope that you will uh, visit Broad Circle, and if you're in Los Angeles, look for broadcircle.com, click on the registration, come to this event, sit down with us, and learn about this live. Thank Ladies, you. thank you so much for your time, for coming, and for sharing this with the world because we are reaching people globally, and I know that you are, have definitely made an impact. It's always inspiring. Thank you, Emily. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Global. Yeah. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good This good program content. has been made possible by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City.